This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Well, today's special guest is none other than Brian Breckenridge, the founding executive director of Box.org, an embedded social enterprise inside of Box Inc. Brian, welcome. How's it going? George, it's great. Happy holidays to you. Always good to, to be on a phone call or in a session with you. Oh, man. All right. So I, uh, I used a lot of words there talking about Box and the .org group. Can you give us the 30,000 foot on what Box does and then what an embedded social enterprise is? Yeah, so Box Inc. has been around for 12 or 13 years and serves 90,000 organizations with something called cloud content management, which is just basically bringing all of your information and knowledge assets like videos and pictures and Word docs and PDFs and x-rays and everything else into a secure place on the web uh, for better collaboration and management with it. And about five years ago, in the spring, it'll be five years, I was fortunate to join Box Inc. and create something called Box.org. And we really are, I guess in some, a, a social impact initiative within the organization that just mobilizes all of the company's assets uh, in service of, of nonprofits and uh, digital capacity for nonprofits. And, and we have a few focus areas and, and pillars through which we do it. But that, that's really it in a nutshell. We want to have social impact elevate in a commensurate rate to company growth and expansion as a, as a fast rate fat, fast rate of growth uh, Silicon Valley company. We want our, our impact to uh, to expand as well as, as the company does. So it's interesting. What was, you know, your role? Because like, I hear Box Inc. and I get it. That's where, you know, I store a ton of my files. And as you mentioned, content management as well inside of that ecosystem. Talk to me about the rationale of then creating an embedded social enterprise versus just, you know, donate 1% of your money and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it, it was something that was was born into the the psyche and the, the the desire of the executive team from from the start. They had, when I got to the organization, six or seven years into its its life cycle, great clubs that were doing some 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 pretty high impact volunteering, and they knew that that they had uh, a, a platform that that as a longitudinal technology would be beneficial to to hundreds of thousands of nonprofits, and so. They really were, I think, um, you know, solving problems, but really seeking more insight from other companies like Salesforce and, and others who'd uh, made the nonprofit industry one of their one of their chosen focus verticals, so that they were bringing more of the organization and not just philanthropy to to aid and service to the nonprofit sector. And so when I was over at LinkedIn for good, uh, where I was for three years after ten years at Salesforce, helping them build out a lot of their Nonprofit-facing programs. Box got in touch with me and, and said I could also do the the employee engagement side of of their their work, and it was too hard to pass up. So that's I think why with that intent early and a tool that 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 nonprofits could benefit from and a, and a staff that when I joined it was five or so hundred folks now up to a couple thousand was growing a lot and realized they needed to really hurry up and put a, a programmatic footprint in place to move the technology and the IP and the the employees and then the, just the the brand and 
I don't know, call it influence of the company in general behind nonprofits. The intent was there, but I, I kind of helped to make it real. So let's talk about making it real because with, I don't know, anytime I, I hear a platform say, and then, you know, we want to reach out, reach out to the nonprofit sector. I usually feel like it's just a, all right, let's just give them the, give them the nonprofit discount, let them use the tool, call it a day. Uh, that's clearly not what box.org is just uh, only focused on. So can you talk through the, the pillars and structure of, uh, of that program? Yeah, for sure. We, we really break it into to three areas. And, and there's really, if you, if you thought about the program as having two areas of horizontal focus, one, I would say we do everything in our power to build digital capacity for all the nonprofits in the world. And second, we do what we can to share with through Pledge 1% and a group within the Pledge 1% movement called the Builders Group, all corporate organizations. We try and help horizontally mobilize corporate organizations to add structures and and ways of generating social impact. So those are really our two our two horizontal areas of focus. The, the assets through which we mobilize uh, resources for nonprofits uh, is through you know discounting and donating technology, certainly making it available, but also making it more fit for purpose for fundraising and program measuring organizations. And then we, you know, again, when I joined, had 500 staff. We're now closer to 2,000 staff, and we've got about 70% of those involved in volunteering. And a lot of that volunteering is becoming more and more high leverage and skilled in nature. And then as many thousands of people flock to our conferences and, and again, uh, 90,000 companies uh, and schools and governments are, are now using the platform. So our ability to influence the needs uh, you know, expose the needs of our of our 8,000 nonprofit customers to those uh, close to 100,000 other customers is also really important to us to be certain that if they do have shared mission or a shared focus or shared beneficiary, uh, be it a citizen or a student or a or or just another customer, uh, to one of our commercial organizations, we want to get them all together. And we don't just look at at moving those assets in a purely horizontal focus either. We're also going deeper in the areas of youth inclusion. Uh, and humanitarian aid. So that, that just adds one more one more dimension, George. Sorry to, to make it more confusing. But but for us, again, there's horizontals, there's areas of, of vertical focus, and then it's just three pillars through which we move all this organization's assets, which are pretty similar to, to assets of most any other tech company, uh, to, uh, to nonprofits. And then, like I'd said, helping lots of organizations adopt social impact programming as well in the commercial sector. Wow. So there are a lot of components there. Ultimately, there is some element of a discount. There is some element of also that you, you talked about crafting and shaping the tool for the nonprofit sector. And this is an important one I'll put a pin in. Uh, and then finally, the the 1%. Can you tell tell me a little bit about this? Because we've talked to other guests that have said, yeah, and then obviously we're part of this 1% pledge. What What exactly is that? Yeah, the, the pledge is a, is a construct that states that an organization uh, that takes the pledge is willing to enforce one of four core components within their, their business model as they, as they scale. They will either commit a percent of their product or service. They will commit a, a percentage of equity or a percentage of profit uh, or a percentage of employee time uh, toward social impact initiatives or endeavors. So you've likely heard of the B Labs B Corp um, construct, which is becoming more and more legislative, or the notion of a of a B Corp, um, you know, as opposed to a standard C Corp that gets created as a corporate governance structure. The the pledge one percent model again, more of a pledge, but now there's 
I think it's over 6,200 companies who've said, you bet, as we grow and scale, we're going to devote energy, time, employee energy, financial energy uh, to generating social impact and serving communities. And so we, as somebody who was a very early adopter of that structure, especially because for me personally, being a part of Salesforce, where it was coined initially and then uh, kind of incubated and moved out on its own, uh, a fiscal sponsor at Tides Foundation. But anyway, the, the Pledge 1% community as a whole is modeled after some things put in play by other tech companies many, many years ago, but uh, but really is meant to be a, a structure and now a series of practices and recipes and soon to be, I uh, call it community of practice, that helps this pledge of doing good in the world uh, become more actionable. So I hope that gives you a little bit more insight and some history as well. Yeah, it does. And it's funny because Salesforce.org seems to have been a like a real sort of big example of when a company gets it right, structures it and puts it out. Uh, out there with regard to turning your resources toward the nonprofit sector, giving them, you know, the discounts. And I'm sure many of the people listening to this have got one of those uh, Salesforce.org uh, free accounts and, and have used it. And we've seen so many organizations benefit from that very powerful tool and, frankly, would be ultimately a little cost prohibitive if uh, if the price wasn't right. Uh, can you say a little bit more maybe about some of those lessons learned from the, the Salesforce.org days and, and what sort of made it to the to the surface as, as you said, in your community of practice, things that worked, things that you take forward and would recommend to, to maybe other organizations looking uh, at implementing these types of programs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to, to start my, my formal affiliation with Salesforce back about 18 years ago. And, and, you know, to, to be in those steering committee meetings, we all were just absolute kids uh, talking about, you know, how neat it would be if the company continued to, to volunteer with and, and, and share the product uh, that it, it, was, uh, it was offering predominantly to commercial organizations, to nonprofits, and just being inclusive of, of the sector. And so to, to see it not only kind of come to pass, but also scale and now see the, the volunteer hours in their community, uh, the Salesforce Ohana stretch out over millions of hours and and tens of thousands of nonprofits using the technology. For, for me at Box, you know, five years ago, if, if I go back eight years in my career, I tried hard to work with LinkedIn and share with them. It's like, hey, if we build an associated or an embedded social enterprise and we do formalize pricing so that that's not inconsistent and we do put our smartest minds and brains behind the success of nonprofits on the platform, this, this virtuous cycle will in fact turn. Nonprofits who would have been on the out uh, with access to a lot of this technology, we'll get it. The stories that they tell will be inspiring. They'll be brand elevating. They'll be employee. Uh, they will offer texture to your culture for your employees to, to be a part of. Um, and just kind of thinking through some of those commercial benefits to why these models are, are important to embrace. But just know that uh, it's certainly vital that it not be uh, a PR play uh, and that an organization that's going to succeed the most with more of an embedded social enterprise or putting you know, some of the commercial resources or a mirror of the commercial resources behind the nonprofit sector, you really, I think, A, have to make sure that your technology is a net value add to organizations that make grants or seek them and run programs and measure them, or uh, that it's more than, than a PR stunt uh, or campaign and that you're really, in fact, committed to this and ready to dedicate full-time employees and join, uh, you know, call it experts in the community uh, in the nonprofit community that, that are pre-existing, that have been building capacity there for decades, and then, you know, allow them to stand on your shoulders. This is less about 
box winning this race and more about the, the current communities like NetHope and TechSoup and Humentum and others that are out there doing a lot of this work uh, and enabling them to do it even better. That's been my perspective. And I, I think that's helped us get to scale as a as a, a social initiative or social enterprise embedded at Box serving nonprofits uh, from a few hundred to, like I said, about 8,000, working with our platform, engaging our volunteers, getting grant funding from us, and every dollar spent by nonprofits right now uh, has a percentage of that redirected into the fund, which is it's mostly uh, funneled back toward uh, digital capacity building for nonprofits. So again, for us, anytime we offer something commercially, a percentage of that is going back fiscally, uh, and, and we're surrounding that community with the help of the existing communities that stand on our shoulders uh, to build capacity for those organizations. So that's a bit rambling, but I hope that helps out. <laughs> I, I think we, we start to get it, and I'm glad you also brought back that, that point of saying the even the money generated and part of that from, uh, from your activities uh, goes back into the fund. Um, and, and what kind of things does the fund directly support then? Yeah, we just started at George in March, and we housed it at Tides next to Google and Patagonia, and those those funds are certainly much larger than, than ours, but because we were an organization who I didn't get to the company in time and for, for various other reasons did not set aside a percentage of the equity at the time of the IPO. And so for us, it was, it was about, hey, we, we really shouldn't as a company, this was us talking five years ago for sure, wait till we're profitable to, to turn on some of the investment side of the initiative. Let's let's build a, an embedded social enterprise that that kind of earns its own. Uh, and so for us, it was making some decisions on, you know, is it is it the contribution margin, also known as profit uh, from the nonprofit community, even if less than our standard industries that we map back to the social impact endeavors and scale our ability to write grants and, and get our employees involved more deeply? Uh, or do we do it as a matter of, uh, of the net revenue? And so for us, there were some decisions to be made. But nonetheless, even five years ago, the executive team and founders of Box were receptive to saying, if you build this great social enterprise that's serving the nonprofit sector in the way that we serve our largest, highest revenue, highest profit segments, um, we will, in fact, commit to you that you can do more and more modern employee engagement and grant making as a result of the growth of the adoption of the platform by nonprofits. And so for me, it was this really exciting way of saying, oh, you're not ready to do grants or hire a few people. Well, give me a moment. I assure you that nonprofits, when approached appropriately, can become customers, likely lower profit uh, by far, but but just know that they are great customers, they innovate, um, and those types of things. And so for me, it was, it was easier to bring the business proposition of an embedded social enterprise than it was just asking for a seven-figure amount to go start volunteering, you know, well before profitability was in sight for the company. It's interesting to say, you know what, instead of punting it down the road, someday, somewhere over the rainbow, when money starts to fall from the sky, then we'll turn towards social good. That's right. That's right. I, um, exactly. That bugs me. So I love getting going, starting small, starting in fundamental ways. The other piece that I really want to now turn to is around the concept of technology adoption and making sure that the solution you've built fits the people that need to use it. And we look at this by breaking it down into people, process, and product. All too often, you end up with a product first, this will solve everything type of almost religiosity around the solutionism of, of technology, saying all we have to do for a nonprofit program is give 50% off and just let them log in and go use our tool because our tool is so amazing. Now, unless you are Apple, I, I beg to differ. 
saying that actually I think what ended up happening it seems with uh, your program there is that you customized it. You focused it for the market. You repackaged what you already had in these cloud services, but you repackaged it for uh, this audience. Can you tell me a little bit more about that transition and how you sort of meet the nonprofit market need? Yeah, and, and that's a really, really great point. Like I, I feel like especially with with technologies that are that are more vertically specific to just try and unleash them on the nonprofit sector and then provide a traditional marketing approach is going to be a guaranteed fail. Uh, Not only will you sort of lure uh, a customer audience who themselves have, you know, overhead constraints like really no other sector um, uh, among many other things that, um, you know, when we talk about maybe the Harry Potter wand later, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, but nonetheless, we understand the constraints that organizations in the sector are under. So to bring a vertical technology that has to, to, to kind of almost be, you know, disfigured, I guess, uh, to, to work in the context of, of grant-seeking organizations and, and organizations, again, that plan and measure programs, uh, one has to be especially mindful. For, for Box, it's twofold. One, general access is, in fact, okay. Um, because you turn this thing on and it could just be seen as a really basic storage mechanism that you invite some employees to, and at least it's more secure than lots of the freeware, and you do let folks run with it. Are they going to use it to to share meeting notes with the board, perhaps? Are they going to use it to collaborate with uh, large donors that they're that they're going after or doing their theory of change work when they're doing their annual planning? The annual is probably because it's this basic utility. Again, move pictures into it. However, what we've seen on the second part of that twofold is that when you really focus in on the major problems that operating and grant-making nonprofits face in the area of generating and managing and scaling programs or getting the the income and the support that they need or the partnerships that they need and in the area of administration, you start to see a lot of consistencies that they run into from a challenge perspective. That relates to content. It's in large part because content lives in 100 different places in the organization, 100 different systems, legacy and cloud. And and so for us to be really prescriptive of the types of problems that cloud content management solves and, in fact, enlist, like I'd said, those communities like NetHope, TechSoup, Humentum, the others that keep that product process and people uh, in mind or, or people process and product, as you'd said, for us, it's not only taking the, the people process and product. And, and making certain that the those tech capacity communities are thinking about CCM and helping nonprofits design think what CCM, quote unquote, like our, again, our category of technology needs to do, but literally bringing organizations directly to our hackathons, to our, our innovation summits, uh, to our roadmap sessions, and have them be able to articulate the problems we're trying to solve with content-related stuff in the program funding or admin area are these um, and there's just even a recent blog post on December 12th that looks like is when Box put it out there, but it's called 100 Hearts and Brain Solving Problems. And it's exactly um, the way that, that we've been 100% inclusive of the voice of nonprofits when starting to build out the solution showcase that, that in fact, is more appropriate. So, again, we're blessed to have this, this horizontal thing that works really well regardless for 8,000 nonprofits. And you can kind of just intuit and use some logic on what it's for. But when it's really then going to be used you know, by Kiva for loan origination content workflows, it's got to go deeper. Or when Oxfam wants to use it, you know, in the area of grant writer collaboration or volunteer onboarding, things of that nature, you know, we, we want the nonprofit community along with these these communities that serve their digital capacity 
to, to work with us in solutioning what, what our platform can actually do. Does that make sense? Instead of just like throwing solutions at people that are uninformed, we completely involve those communities and nonprofits themselves in the process. Well, it's also clear that you're using the right language. You're talking about board members. You're talking about grant making. You're talking about the, the types of pain points nonprofits have uh, versus talking about, you know, hey, here's this tool that solves everything. Just turn it on. Um, and you sort of obviously note that, like, look, it, it's a logical place to safely store things that, by the way, is probably a heck of a lot safer than maybe how you're doing it right now. Uh, but you're using these practical use cases uh, are there others actually that sort of make it real for you? Ways organizations are are using um, the the platform right now that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, folks can take a quick spin out there at community.box.com forward slash nonprofit, and you'll be able to dig down into use case matrix and other things that that exist. We've got a lot of polish to put on that community, but um, and and thousands and thousands of our customers to drive there and make that more vibrant. But for now, there are some some great materials to pull back. For us, it's just a matter, again, of thinking of those pillar areas. An organization, first and foremost, is delivering its program. And where is where are the videos and the content flowing in that process? You know, where are the, the grant receipts or where are the, the M&D reports or where are the forms or where are the videos from the field? All of that good stuff is, is, is flowing through, through our platform. On the funding side, it turns out funding is a really collaborative sport. People have told us in the past that one grant can sometimes require 50, 60, or 70 root documents. Uh, and whether you're two staff or 200 staff or 2,000 staff, you know, those typically go across human beings. They go into different departments. And so the collaboration on that team sport of funding, be they major gifts or seeking partnerships or writing grants or whatever it may be, is 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 really uh, an area where, where Box comes into play and streamlines a lot of those those collaboration efforts. Uh, and then administratively, again, I touched on it just for a, a quick second, but that volunteer life cycle or, or, or more traditional like HR content libraries are ways that, that the organization financially um, collaborates with its, its vendors or with its funders. Uh, all are, are very fertile spaces for a more collaborative, more secure platform like Box for the, the flow of all those sort of non-structured uh, data elements that, that keep those organizations and the information flowing. I think Quick that makes examples, it, but. yeah, no, it's, it's really helpful because I think initially the branding of Box is like, oh yeah, online file storage, boom, done, safe, secure, right. and log on, there it is. And you're like, eh, it can do a lot more when you apply it certain ways. And by the way, save you a ton of money if you look at these like individual like platforms, even for like board management, and you're like, well, I could pay like $20,000 over here for just like a one-off bit of tech or extend uh, extend a platform like this to, to really solve some of those those issues. I, I really like it. Yeah, and there, there's there's like three layers to it. There's just Box working horizontally, and then there's Box integrated with 1,400 other platforms, which we are, so that we can be a content layer in other applications. I don't care what, what it is, whether it be NetSuite or, or Salesforce or DocuSign or Okta or all these things that many hundreds of thousands of nonprofits use. We're integrated to those things. And so now Box is kind of starting to, to work its way around the organization and be a secure single layer for content, even if other things are doing stuff with that content, like a Word doc or a, a GDoc or what have you, for it to then get saved down and live on Box almost behind the user's sort of awareness is is where, again, you start to now get the privacy and the controls and the, the things that go along with security that, that nonprofits have never been able to approach, again, just because of, of the cost issue. But then there's also even this realm of custom. So it's Box standalone, it's Box with these 1,400 platforms, and then Box custom, which is 
more of a platform thing where we're seeing more and more organizations say, hey, wouldn't that be great if donors could log into an environment and upload videos from, from the work that they're doing with us in the field? And then we could also upload assets to that space. We see it especially in banking and, and e-medicine and all those types of things and other industries that we serve here at Box. But to, to dig in for a few minutes to developer.box.com really starts to open people's view of, holy crap, we had no idea this isn't just a first-party app. It's actually a development environment on which we could build custom apps, even if it's just for like the way that uh, you know Barack Obama on their foundation's website recently suggested that people upload stories uh, from uh, that, that great night, was it, I guess, 10 years ago or so, and uh, they were waving at the crowd for the first time as the first family and so on. And so to have those stories be collected, you know, with a, with a kind of a third-party, for lack of a more technical phrase, widget, uh, you know, that box provided them at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a non-cost into their current environment was, was just one interesting little example of data ingestion and how that gets in people's way a lot, or maybe they just need to send a large file out to a donor or a board member and can't do it and have to get the credit card out to do that. All those types of things, in fact, kind of get smoothed out. Sorry I went on there. <laughs> it's like, I, you know what? That's on me. I open the door to, well, how do you use this? And you're like, well, let me tell you, friend. Uh, yeah, I'm here five years, 8,000 nonprofits, man. I, I've traveled a no, lot. No, there's some lot stories. stories. <laughs> I like it. But I want to yeah. I want to switch gears because you've got a, a decent amount of experience, I uh, I have to say, between the different companies you've worked at. So here's, here's the problem. Okay. Somewhere there's somebody listening to this right now. They're at an organization, maybe not completely similar to Box, but somewhat digital, somewhat traditional, and they're trying to – basically do more than just the company fundraiser every year or workplace giving that are just, you know, the, the general sort of, you know, we're employees that care, but what is your advice to the person in the organization who maybe has the ear of the CEO and then wants to really turn like a dot org play, something that actually says, Hey, we provide a service in the world, but if we just tweaked it, it could actually do some really, you know, amazing things. What is your advice to, to that person on how to create a plan, generate a program, and, and build, frankly, something like this? Yeah, it's wonderful. And, and I've, I've been doing this work so long, and in some ways I'm like this weird platinum swan that, that has this career that was very SaaS or cloud business side, but also incredibly from the very beginning, from when I was a kid, committed to nonprofits and social impact. And so – to speak both of those languages, I think, has made me – I've probably had 300 mentoring calls in the past three years in my car coming back and forth uh, to Silicon Valley from my, my, my family's place up here in, in Marin County in the Bay Area. And, and that's exactly what those calls are about. They're saying, we kind of think we need a person to help with this because now we're at 100 employees or we're at 70 or we're at 500. You know, is it time? And sure enough, 30 or 40 of us that, that, that do kind of understand this intersection of social impact and, and, and SaaS or cloud or whatever you want to call it, fast growth tech, uh, are getting these full-time roles now. So in, you know, maybe well ahead of, of hiring somebody to come in and help you work on this, I would say that, that any organization, including the several thousand who are getting significant funding in their round A or round B in San Francisco alone right now, say that you are currently budgeting for things that do in fact have a potential enlightened purpose, whether that be employee referral bonuses or your current budget for your lunch program or your current budget for parts of your marketing program that are that are not necessarily inelastic in demand, meaning they're kind of on the fence of whether or not you need them. All of those things apply. Uh, you're, if you're going to add at least one person next year in Silicon Valley, you're going to you're going to add a six figure. 
uh, you know, worth of, of, of employee costs. So, so right there, you can't, you can't say that you're not, you know, investing in the growth of the company or its brand or its success. And so any organization at any size or shape can start thinking about the assets that they have and perhaps in a scrappy way, um, with a lot of input from nonprofits, start to turn on things that you didn't know you could. It's kind of like box.org turning on a fund well ahead of being profitable or without setting aside at its IPO or another point of liquidation um, uh, for the company. And so my my advice is to not only look at the assets that you have today and feel like and, and feel out rather, hey, if we're going to do that anyway, like we're going to do a sales meeting for our 20 reps that come in from around the world or our marketing team's going to do an offsite or whatever it might be. There are time times, there is budget, and there are ways to do things with nonprofits in your current environment that you might not really even be thinking of. And it doesn't mean you have to like turn on a big spend and a huge program. You have to do this in an iterative way with a good plan and a good vision that you keep harping on and remaining aligned with, with the senior folks just to make sure that you're, you're kind of um, – uh, inspiring versus threatening, uh, sort of the, the broader business plan is always an interesting dance. But there's a lot of very, very mechanically uh, easy things to go look at. Could your product work in the nonprofit space if it could start to enlist feedback from them? You know, is there any budget anywhere that says like this year, we, we, we didn't do a big, you know, tuxes and chocolate fountain gala for the holiday. We did a, 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 1400 employee volunteer day in 18 geos. This was Friday a few days ago, but then we had like small parties with kegs uh, around the world after that to celebrate this great day of impact. Instead of pouring all the money into the, you know, the, the expensive hotel in Texas, we lowered that cost and we poured more of that cost into, uh, you know, a group of a few dozen nonprofits that we served around the world. So there's, there's ways to reorient what you're doing today, regardless of where you are in scale, that could be supportive of communities. And then, of course, there's a holy grail of moving everything sort of in lockstep toward that um, that social impact output as well. Can you tell me, because sometimes uh, this is a pet peeve of mine, uh, can you tell me the difference between creating a an actual program versus a one-off marketing campaign wherein it's the holiday season and proceeds from the sale of this watch are going to go toward a great cause. Yeah. Just like avoiding the greenwashing stuff and avoiding kind of that inauthentic cause marketing stuff that you see go around is, is certainly a part of the advice that I would suggest. Again, it kind of goes along the line of that, you know, that authentic desire to work with and equip the nonprofit sector is, is really vital as opposed to the PR stunts that you in fact sadly do see around. But I would say though, that, that for an organization to start thinking about, hold on, uh, not necessarily adopting a Tom's one-for-one type model like the Tom Shoes model or other similar models, but at the same time saying, wait a second, even our go-to-market, like even the way with which we bring our product to market could, in fact, positively um, implemented uh, drive social impact. And so for us, it's even it's even asking, you know, our 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 uh, remaining three active co-founders at Box of Four uh, and the executive team, hey, how about that new product that's the artificial intelligence stuff that we're really going to go big on next year, how about if a percentage of what the broader customer base invests in that goes back toward a program that that enables nonprofits to adopt AI uh, in the realm of content um, 
more more actively. And and there's a lot of receptivity to it, believe it or not. I don't know if we'll implement it, but again, it's just a mindset of it from the top down. The organization is saying when it's time to do business planning, we're all going to be inclusive of a social impact outcome in the way that we structure our resourcing and our goals for the quarter or for the half or for the year or for the three years or five years. Uh, and that's when you start to see it, again, become more authentic and not just a one-off. It's when it's really baked in even to the business planning process and not just in a marketing uh, you know, war room somewhere. Yeah, I find, you know, this this line of thinking and innovation obviously still in its infancy as people define it and try to, as you said, do it authentically versus just cause washing or green washing a campaign or, or individual product uh, because of the sheer fact that, you know, 95 percent of our GDP is coming from the for profit industry where, you know, it's a giant engine. It's a massive opportunity. And if you can shift 1% of that, that's still larger than the entire nonprofit industry. Yeah, and so, so, many, of these, so many of these networks, right, at that intersection of, of impact and, and high growth, and you're seeing the finance world, and you're seeing, you know, wealthy families and the places that they aggregate, you know, a lot of the, the multi-general wealth that they've generated that they're setting aside in the area of impact and starting to, to seek more innovative, more scalable of generating social impact as opposed to a more traditional, you know, way of, of, of doing a long-term estate gift uh, to a more permanent organization. You're seeing a lot of, of innovation, on, again, on the, in the finance side, in the, in the networks of, of the, the venture and the capital community and where it meets the innovation, you know, community. And, and frankly, you're even seeing, you're, you're seeing organizations adopt whole new articles of incorporation and models and ways that, you know, as they grow and win, the society grows and wins. And if if we can continue to unlock, you know, the the ways that that the commercial sector itself has has bullishly taken risk and advanced products, leave a lot of the the less compassionate aspects of that out. But there's a lot to be learned there for the rigor and the necessity to to, to grow and serve. And like you said, that Moving some of the GDP over into infrastructure and supporting nonprofits so they're not they're not starving every time the program slows down or the the storm passes is uh, is also something that that I think commercial sector should give a look at too. Alrighty, I'm really uh, I'm really pleased we we could touch on those points and, and kind of tap into your your other ability to to look at the market and sector and maybe maybe inspire some people listening. But we're about to move into the rapid fire round. Brian, are you are you prepared? I mean, it's just an honor to be in a rapid fire with you, bud. Like I said at the beginning of the call, this is cool. <laughs> okay, please try to keep your responses uh, as short as possible and as intelligent as you possibly can. High pressure. All righty. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the past year, and it cannot be Box? We started using Revere Software, and it runs something called the Coaching Core, and it's, so it's coachingcore.box.org. And it matches up box experts that work at the company with nonprofits seeking coaching. So it's a Revere software platform that we've really started to like. What is a technical difficulty or challenge that you need to take down in the next year? I would say we need to make certain that our employees can make online payroll deductions through our current Bright, For Bright Funds employee giving and volunteering platform. We don't have that turned on, and it's just a real thorn in my side. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? We are going to incorporate some wonderful themes and partnering and, and technology innovation with the Special Olympics into our 1,000-employee Box Vision annual sales kickoff in February. And I'm also very excited to go deeper with 
NetHope and TechSoup. And last, excited to keep shifting our employee volunteers towards skilled volunteering more and more and more. Can you talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that now shapes the way you do things? Probably didn't get into a focused social impact role even as early as I could. I'm glad I had the years that I had, but I probably could have bounced over even earlier, and I probably could have sought uh, a few longer-term mentors in that space earlier. How did you get started in the social impact space? For me, it started back when I was collecting newspapers from corners and driveways when I was a kid growing up in a small town in Kansas in the Boy Scouts, and I just couldn't shake it. I uh, when I was in an undergrad, I ran the philanthropy part of, of, a, of a Greek organization on a campus, uh, Delta Chi. And then after working in startups and other companies, went over to India and just really firmed up for myself how important it was for me on an on a international volunteering trip for a couple of months that I needed to serve others throughout my life. And from then on, uh, joined Salesforce where I got to volunteer on the job and it all just started to, to collide and that technology worked, and, and here we are building uh, building these cool social enterprises. If I were to toss you in the hot tub time machine to go back to the first day that you started at Box.org, what advice would you give yourself? I stood on the stage in front of what at the time was 600 employees during a lunch, and I literally got the mic handed to me by the co-founders that were, were introducing me as a, as a new exec at the company. And I literally took the mic and I said, I don't know what we're going to do here, but I'm very grateful to be here and it's going to be really, really exciting and good for people. And I bowed deeply, and and that was just kind of the the way that I approached it. I wish from that very, very first meeting, I'd been a little more clear about where we were headed. Uh, but that was also a big part of my authentic, authentic self as well, to to really just show gratitude as much as I shared the strategy. But that was literally the very first day on the job uh, when getting introduced. I I bowed in gratitude, as opposed to bowing in gratitude and having any shadow of an idea of what the heck we were going to go do. <laughs> uh, what is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? I think it might be that we're not we're not surveying internal and external audiences enough. I don't think we're surveying the specific impact that we have and assuring that not only are we a technology that nonprofits are using and loving and our volunteers are helping and our grants driving digital capacity are helping for sure, but it's it's just getting a lot more clarity on what percent of those 8,000 nonprofits that work with our technology would say that it's had an impact on their ability to deliver their, their and fulfill their mission. And I'm just not doing a great job of call it impact surveying right now. If you had a Harry Potter style wand to wave across the industry, what would it do? It would say, hey, funders of all shapes and sizes, stop ignoring the importance of data and content infrastructure as an area to invest and build capacity for these organizations. Number two, I would say to nonprofits uh, with this wand, please unlock your brand access and stop being so darn guarded about it. If you went out and told more stories about your innovation and the wins that you have, especially with technology vendors, and allowed them, if earned, to use your logo more, uh, you would frankly turn on a lot more support. And uh, I, guess, I guess I'll just leave it with those two hopes. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I think many indicate that they are in the business of going out of business because of the thing that they do or the problem that they address or solve, but then their, their actions don't often uh, mirror that intent. Um, it's a, I know a strange spot. And on one hand, you're saying invest in infrastructure. Uh, 
to create a bit more permanence for organizations that need to repeat what they do in scale. Uh, if they are, in fact, uh, solving that problem, then I want them to go out of business. But if they're in a position to maybe not go out of business but innovate because they have enough infrastructure to do that, um, you know, then, then I think that the argument to, to build more infrastructure still applies. They can innovate. They don't necessarily have to have, quote unquote, go out of business. And I was just reading about that this morning about the Boy Scouts, which has me pretty concerned for a pending Chapter 11 discussion that they're in right now. What advice would you give to college graduates looking to enter the social impact sector? Two things. Like I said earlier, get a mentor earlier, and the mentor may not look exactly like you think he or she should. Um, and many, many folks that are graduating from the social welfare part of their campus have called me, even though I really appear more tech and corporate. Um, so I would say connect to, to mentors. Be mindful about, about those connections when you do reach out to those folks. But then also don't at all be scared to shop as part of your, your broader career-seeking lens uh, corporations uh, that, that uh, you know, include those uh, even if you really want to work in nonprofit on your research list, because going and working in a commercial environment that does have social impact baked into its plan can actually be really beneficial, I think, uh, and widen your opportunities to also serve in the nonprofit sector or serve the nonprofit sector from corporate. So that's my advice there is, is it doesn't hurt that bad to go do a corporate job for a while, especially if it's a company that, you know, is, is, uh, is giving back because that, that can diversify your resume and give you more options. And finally, Brian, how do people find you? How do people help you? I spend a lot of time, like I'd said earlier in this call, doing 15 and 20-minute calls in my car, um, traveling on the day or two that I travel 30 or so miles for one and a half to two hours uh, down to the headquarters for Box from our home. So that is a good time. I'm not the only person in Silicon Valley that's willing to, to lend a hand to folks that are out there seeking something. Frankly, maybe I'll just put this out there. If you're a senior and you've built some social enterprises and you want to call, and I can call you, uh, let me know, because I'm looking for some mentorship as well. But again, I'm always open. I, I highly recommend that people professionally engage people that they admire uh, on LinkedIn and be persistent. Busy people are sometimes tough to get in touch with. But but do, do reach out to me if, if, if the types of things I've said are inspiring to you and you work in a, in a commercial entity trying to do more good or, or you're trying to orient your career towards toward social impact. Well, very generous. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it was incredibly insightful and helpful. Awesome, man. I'm glad that uh, we could get together today. Happy holidays, George. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.